Donald Trump is characterized by very fast decision-making and several of the people that he's appointed are now in jail. I also feel like a good leader surrounds himself with really solid leaders and I have questioned some of these people that he's put in place. So I feel like he thinks that everything in the planet should be a man-to-man deal at the table. You know what I mean? He's got that very rough and tumble, like I'm gonna go be best friends with the North Korean dictator. And he just thinks that everything can just be like this deal. I think it's sloppy. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? It's Josh, and I got to bring some context around this interview that is about to take place here today because I believe that one of the single greatest downfalls of America today is the fact that we are no longer able to have civil disagreements and conversations about things that we disagree with one another on, particularly in politics, specifically around Trump and so many other things. And I firmly believe that unless we can sit down and have a civilized discussion about issues without alienating the other side and completely just ripping them apart, whether you agree with them or not, is absolutely fundamental to the very foundational fabric of our society. Unless we're able to do that, we are going to fall apart. We are going to just have incredible demise and inevitably fall, I I believe. And so this interview is my way of really, truly trying to see the other side. I have been pretty vocal in my support of Donald Trump's policies and what he has done for this country. And I am incredibly confused behind the hatred that has gone on in the political realm for Donald Trump. During my time of... um, Supporting Donald Trump and since I have been vocal about some of the things that he has done that I like I have received death threats. I have received um, Absolute hate messages. I have received people telling me that they wish I would die and that you know Just wishing horrible horrible things and I don't understand that hatred I would never in my wildest dreams wish that upon anyone and I wouldn't could never live with that hatred and so um, I reached out on Facebook and I said hey, I want to talk to someone preferably a woman Uh, preferably a Democrat or someone on the other side of the aisle that does not like Trump. And uh, Julie Stoyan, who is a, she is a registered Republican, but she is a woman and she is anti-Trump. And she is a very, very well-respected marketer. It's uh, someone that I have a lot of respect for and we're, we have been friends on Facebook um, and, and very, very well-known, has a pretty large following. Uh, she reached out and said, you know what? I'm willing to do the debate. And so after much back and forth to her and her team, um, we decided to go ahead and sit down and do this. This was streamed live on Facebook originally, so some of the comments you will hear us referring back to are in those. But the attempt was to say, let's debate on facts and policy and logic and things that are actually happening. And you know, if we're not debating on that, let's call each other out on it. And we had a civilized debate upon this. And we didn't convince each other one way or the other, but that was not the goal. The goal was to have a civilized discussion and to show people that, hey, if you don't like Trump, I respect you and that's fine. And I ask the same respect 
for me, someone that you know does support the president of the United States of America. And whether you like that president or not, I believe that you need to respect that person as your president the same way that I and you know many, many people that I knew respected Obama, even though we did not like him. And so this discussion and this debate is um, my way of living and, and being an example of saying we've got to have civilized discussions around things. So as you listen to this, whether you are a Trump supporter or a Trump uh, or an anti-Trump person, I, I just please go into this with an open mind, understanding that like, it's okay to have differences of opinions. It's okay not to agree with your current leader of the United States of America. We still need respect and we still need to have conversations like this because this is the absolute foundational bedrock of our society and it absolutely needs to happen if we want to have a country in the next five to 10 years. I also want to thank Julie and her team both for uh, setting up the interview and Julie specifically for being willing to come on, have a discussion that is not an easy one, especially for someone with influence, uh, with her size of influence. And I want to say thank you specifically to her. So Julie, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, I respect you. And um, I, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. So to you, the listener, enjoy the interview. And remember that this is my way of leading by example with what I believe needs to be done in our society. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and we have with us today the incredible, amazing Julie Stoian and the long, long-awaited uh, Trump interview that is going to come upon us today. Um, first and foremost, guys, first off, I want to say for everyone that's listening, we're streaming this on Facebook. We're going to be putting this out on the podcast. I'm sure a lot of people are going to see this. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for everyone that is watching, tuning in, and, and viewing um, I also want to give a big shout out to Julie, but before I bring her on and introduce her, I just want to say um, this topic is clearly a topic of heated discussion throughout the world today. And the point of this interview is not to <laughs> chop each other's heads off. In fact, if you're here to watch two people destroy each other, you're in the wrong place. Um, I am someone that has been very vocal in my support of Trump's policies, not so much maybe the person, but pretty vocal about Trump. Julie on the other side of that, you know, maybe not quite as vocal about her non-support of it, but is very well informed. We're here to have a civilized debate. And I think that Julie made a very, very good point in her group the other day and in the post on her Facebook of saying, hey, if people are afraid to share their opinion, that's like the bedrock of a free society. Like we need that to happen. And so the point of this debate, the point of this discussion is to do that. And so I want to accept the ground rules there. We are going to debate facts. We are probably going to yell at each other sometimes. But in in the spirit of things like, the purpose of this is to have a civilized debate. So without further ado, Julie Stoian, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, here. I know thank you for having for you, me. So I, thank you. Uh, I popped on this this call before we went live and you were like, I'm so excited about today. And I was like, I wish I could share the same sentiment. <laughs> I, I am here rather nervously. This is a very, very hot topic. That I think the one or two times I ever wrote about Trump on Facebook um, just exploded. And I, I vowed I wouldn't speak of it again. And here I am. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. Well, it's amazing how I have that effect on people. Some people just swear they'll never do it. And somehow I'll pull it out of them. Although I, I, do, I do say that uh, you're the I one did, that- I did. I did. Because I you saw your awful, comment on so. the post about how few anti-Trump people can actually debate reasonably. And I think you put a B in my bonnet. I was like, what is he talking about? I could do that. Well, well, that's the, um, oh, sorry. And I have, uh, I have a video playing in the background of Trump <laughs> in my ears. I'm like, what's going on? Um, I will say this though. Um, 
I think that we need to start off by finding common ground with Trump. And I want to start this discussion off right by going to the role of the president, because um, I think that, you know, my big issue with Trump is that when people oppose him, a overwhelming majority, and you know me, I am not afraid to talk about Donald Trump. So I talk about him a lot. Like the overwhelming majority of people that don't like him are all entirely caught up in emotions. And the fact that he's a a jerk or the fact that, you know, I don't like him. And the hatred that I see from Donald Trump or towards Donald Trump, I cannot even fathom having that hatred or that amount of hatred towards someone or anything. And so for me, I go, okay, how do I debate someone that, you know, does fundamentally disagree with me on that level? And I think the only way to have a civil debate is to first establish some form of of common ground or common reference. And so what I would like to do is just take some time and I'll turn it over to you first and just kind of say, all right, let's determine what is the role of the United States president as a whole, taking Trump out of the equation and set the ground rules there so that we at least have some common ground to point back to, to say. Yeah. I mean, I think if we go back to like, whatever, fifth grade civics or economic social studies, the role of the president as, as I see it, right, is to basically execute and enforce laws that Congress passes um, and to oversee all the departments in the government through his cabinet and the people that he appoints. Obviously, he does other things. He's the commander in chief of the military. He uh, negotiates treaties and foreign policy. He can exec- you know, issue executive orders. He can sign and or veto laws. But at the end of the day, his job really is just to make sure that all U.S. laws are being carried out through the government agencies and the leaders he's put in place and to ensure that the federal government is running effectively. That's what I see as the role of president. Okay. Uh, before we go on, guys, if you're tuning in, um, I, I don't know where the clear. comments are showing up. I don't know if you guys can see them or not. I can't. On Zoom. Okay. So guys, just comment hashtag team live down below and just let us know that you're tuning in. Say hello to us. Um, yes, I'm going to ask you for some engagement because this is a great interview and I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, back to, to that though. Okay. So let me ask you this. Do you believe that the role of the United States president then is to put America first in regards to other countries versus America. Yeah, like, so does America come I think first? that was a re- I think that's a really good question. I think if we were to simply state, of course, yes, a president must first consider the safety and security of the United States. But this is all like that's all in like theory because it gets super complicated about what is truly the best interest of the United States because when the best interest of the United States is possibly the, you know, the demise of another nation, we are at at this current time, one of the most, if not the most powerful nation on earth. So our behavior can carry consequences, which means like our actions can topple the security of the entire planet. So it's actually a very difficult decision to really assess if putting America first, uh, if it gravely affects the global economic you know, world or stability, is it really in the best interest of the US if it topples the marginal piece that we have? And so I think even though I would say to answer your question, oh, yes, it, yes, of course the president has to put America first. I think that a lot of the decisions that the president has to make are so complicated. And because of our power and our responsibility can create these global tremors that if we're putting the entire planet at risk with our decisions, then I would argue that's not in the best interest of the United States. And it's very short-sighted. And so uh, my, my overall 
my overarching response is that this kind of critical thinking, this non-black and white thinking is the thinking that I believe the president lacks. He's very black and white. And so I think a lot of these hard decisions can be oversimplified as in putting America first when you're not necessarily thinking about, well, America's not first if the entire global economy or the global climate or whatever starts to crumble. So that's my short answer. <laughs> okay. I, I, and you're talking about specifically this particular yeah, president, I think, Trump, I, right? Yeah, yeah. In this case. Okay. Okay. So I, I believe, and to answer my own question here, just so that people know my, you know, my, my side as well, I want to make sure that we're both you know, stating this till we find common ground. I, I do believe first and foremost that the job of the president is to enforce the constitution um, and, and, and uphold the constitution of the United States. Um, that is, you know, when they're sworn in, like I do solemnly swear to uphold the constitution to the best of my ability of the United States of America. So, and I agree with pretty much everything else that you said um, as far as his job, his roles, his responsibilities. Um, as far as putting America first though, I believe that first and foremost, when it comes to the safety of the American people, I believe that it is overwhelmingly the job of the American president to, um, when not dealing directly with like aid and stuff to other countries, like to protect and secure the structural safety of America and the structural groundwork of us working. And so we're going to get into immigration and, and things like that. But I believe that, you know, and I want to be able to point back to this, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. That being considered, just because it may seem rude to someone else or that we're bashing someone else, um, or maybe not bashing, but like not focusing on helping someone else, um, when they might be in a time of need where they really need help, that doesn't make the president a bad person or the president's role and choice is wrong. It means that he and his job is not to go out and be the savior of the world. I don't believe that America is supposed to be the world's policeman. I believe that the role of the United States president is to protect and serve America, secure America's borders, keep America safe, keep America healthy, and then once and if ever we get to that point where we have healthy economic growth, healthy social issues, healthy you know, financial stability, then we can focus on going and trying to keep peace in the rest of the world. But the big issue that I see is that there are so many people that believe that the job of the United States and the president being the president, you know, the leader of the United States that say that we should have this responsibility to help everyone and aid anyone whenever there is a catastrophe or whenever there's a war or whenever people need you know, money, like we're rich, so we should help them. And so my question is, is like, I don't believe that that's the case. I think we need to put America first. And I think that Russia should put Russia first and China should put China first and, you know, wherever else should put their own country first, not in a, hey, we hate everybody else, but hey, yeah, we got to I mean, focus on fixing ourselves I, first. Like, it's just like the emergency uh, airplane instructions, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first before you can help someone else. I believe fundamentally that our ability to help other people is only direct in proportion to how much we've helped ourselves. So I would agree with you. I would say that the job of the president is to put America first, to secure America, you know, like from a social standpoint, an economic standpoint, all of that way. I think the, the part that is very tricky is that 
uh, a lot of, and, and I'm not saying like there are times like when there is a war going on or there's, you know, something out there that like it can feel very mean to not go, you know, help them when there's, a, but there's all, always, right. always you can look at and look at what's going on in our country and be like, yeah, well, there are a lot of problems out there, but there's also a lot of problems in here as well that need attention. I think my biggest, my biggest point in making is that there are some decisions that come across the president's desk that would have global implications that could conceivably rock the stability of the entire planet because of the position of power that we're in, which means that Donald Trump, in putting America first, has to also very carefully weigh his actions because of how much power and influence we have on the planet. Because if the planet is not stable, that is not in our best interest either. It's just not as black. I just don't see it as black and white. Um, but that's not to say that we should run off and go into every war and help everybody. Because I do agree with you that we can only help people in so much as we are a healthy and free economy. So if you were to, and if this is a bad question, then feel free to reframe it. Uh, maybe one that's a little bit better, but on a, maybe like a scale from one to 10 or a, you know, an A to F rating, like how would you rate Donald Trump's performance on issues of global <sighs> impact? Well, I don't, like, I don't study politics very deeply. So I, you know, I'm just as accustomed to hearing, you know, you toggle, you toggle between Fox News and CNN and it's like, I'm on two different planets. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Right. I think that I would say that Donald Trump is characterized by very fast decision making. And I think sometimes it's very sloppy decision making. And I also think that a lot of the people that he surrounds himself, you know, several of the people that he's appointed are now in jail. I also feel like, you know, a good leader surrounds himself with really solid leaders. And I have questioned some of these people that he's put in place. So I feel like he thinks that everything in the planet should be you know, a man to man deal at the table. You know what I mean? He's got that very rough and tumble. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go be best friends with, you know, the North Korean dictator. And he just thinks that everything can just be like this deal. I think it's sloppy. I think there's been a lot of sloppiness and he's caused a lot of like extra problems in his attempt to try to like, you know, deal with the immigration issue and deal with securing our borders and all that kind of stuff. The principles of the matter, and this is where I think we're going to have way more common ground than people think, is I, I do agree that we should secure America. Like that, like that, like it's not a country if it doesn't have a border, of course, right? It's just his manner of doing it is often, to me, appears very impulsive and sloppy and like he's, you know, at a bar striking mm -hmm. a deal forgetting that he is the leader, most powerful leader on the planet. And on the planet. So because he is the most powerful person on the planet and because he arguably has more intelligence slash insights than, well, for sure, than any normal American person will ever, um, could I argue the fact that, hey, maybe he knows what he's doing when it comes to these negotiations with other countries. And I know that like recently there is this whistleblower person that came out. That's like, you know, we don't know who Trump made the deal with, but we know that there was a formal whistleblower complaint saying that he promised something which was against whatever, whatever could, could one argue and say, we're getting our source of that through the media, which we know is wrong. Like, I don't care what you follow, right? Like Fox news is wrong. CNN yep. is wrong. Like we're, they're all skewed. Right. So like, we don't actually know what's true. Donald Trump, while, and we're going to get into person versus policy here in a second, but like Donald Trump clearly has had a, a level of success in his life 
financially and in the the eyes of what the world deems a success, not what I would necessarily or maybe even you, but clearly it has had some success and negotiated deals far greater than anybody or most I people would ever argue will. I so would argue that the end for him at, if we look at the end of his success and then we look at the means and the process and the people that he may have hurt along the way, I would not necessarily keep that success as high as it maybe first appears. And, and maybe so, but let's but but lo, lo, let's look at the fact that right now the America's in this the whole world is in this yeah. more or less a crisis, right? I mean like I would say so at least. Maybe not economically, but we're probably on the brink of one there. Here's a dude that he he knows things that we don't. And while it may be bad for uh, it may look bad on the outside of him meeting with Putin, which once I don't know why that's such a bad thing. I didn't have a problem when Obama met with foreign leaders. I mean, yes, there's certain instances, but like meeting with Putin or meeting with, you know, the the dictator of North Korea, like why is that such a bad thing when we don't, don't actually know the context think, of what's going on? Like why are we so quick to thing. judge? I don't. I think I think honestly, if I were to so, look at Donald Trump, because we know that all people have good and evil inside of them. Like they all there's no there's no like good guy, bad guy. Right. If I were to like sit down with Donald Trump and identify his superpowers as a human, because we all have them, I would say probably deal making and negotiations are his superpower, right? Like, I mean, that's pretty obvious. Now, whether he does it and plays fair or not yeah. is a whole different question. So I don't think, I think that, that he has used his superpower in foreign relations in ways that other presidents couldn't, right? He managed to get a meeting with Kim Jong-un, or however you say his name, right? And he managed yeah, to yeah. do that. I, but I still do think that his behavior characteristically looks pretty um, impulsive and sloppy and can create a lot of trouble and a lot of problems uh, because he's, he's I, I sometimes forget that he, I think that he forgets how much weight and consequence his behavior and his words carry. I agree with that. I, I do agree with that. I don't think Donald Trump quite fully understands the magnitude of it because, and I have had this conversation before and I would argue because when you're a billionaire, I think that that just yeah. like massive yeah. power becomes normal, right? So because he had such massive power beforehand and didn't give a darn beforehand, he just got in and he's just <laughs> like, great, I just leveled up, right? Like I'm just going to keep doing things the way that I was. So we're going to get into that. Um, before I do that though, I, I do want to have both of us state, and whether that's 30 seconds or, or five minutes, um, everything that we like about Donald Trump as a generalized rule, and then everything that we, as a generalized rule, and we'll get into specifics, don't like about Donald Trump. And I'm happy to go first or have you go first uh, on this, but let's start with what we okay. don't like about Donald um, Trump. I don't care. I mean, I can, I can go first. I think, um, so okay. I have lots to say about Donald Trump, but I, what I do want to say before I launch into it is that I think where a lot of my, my personal like issue with him comes in is more in his leadership rather than his policy. I mean, I, I take issue with his, some of his policies. I am a registered Republican, so I am a con more conservative and have been my entire life. I don't follow the conservative agenda all the way to the letter. There's some key issues I differ on. So for from that perspective, like I don't have as much to say about his policy as I do about his character and his leadership. And I think I would say it like this. I think that he is not a very good leader. And I think he also has um, a corrupt character. And I, and I, 
I, I don't know that it's fair for me to, to make any judgments because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a lawyer and I don't know him very well. But to me, I see a lot of delusions of grandeur, which um, essentially sounds all kinds of alarms in my head about his judgment. And so things like his doublespeak, things like his errors and omissions um, in his facts, and even just his carelessness and like checking his facts before he opens his mouth, um, his treatment of women, um, a lot of the racist things that he says, the company that he keeps, the way he's chosen leaders that then, you know, end up in jail, his self-adoration, things like, you know, when he like sort of gets on almost these obsessive rants about things that like elevate him. Um, and I, and at the end of the day, I also think that he really agitates people's lowest common denominator. I, I look for good leaders who call people to their higher selves. And oftentimes I see Donald Trump playing to the lower common denominator. So I think that I can sum up the things that I don't like are really in character and leadership more than they are in specific policy. Okay. So before I comment on any of that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to state where I don't like Donald Trump, which is, I think, maybe something that people have not heard ever uh, of me. Um, and so I would, I would tend to agree on some of those things. I think for me, I think that Donald Trump um, doesn't know when to stop. So, so he, he knows how to make a point really well. And in some cases, I don't really care that he made the point, even though it offends some people. But there is a line, and I do not like the fact that he doesn't know when to stop pushing it because then it just gets obsessive and it turns off even his supporters. So I don't like the fact that he doesn't know when to stop. Um, I also don't like the fact that Donald Trump never, and you know, I see this a lot in my own life at certain times um, when I say, like, when I say these things out loud. Obviously, not to the extent of this, but that Donald Trump does not bring context around a statement that, in context, makes sense. Um, meaning that a lot of times he will say things that sound awful and derogatory, but in with provided context and with you know, maybe some, some backstory to it, I think might not be so bad, but I think he does a terrible job at bringing context around complete ideas. Um, I also do not like the fact that Donald Trump does believe that he is right on everything. Um, he, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him say that. I mean, like he'll make the occasional comment of like, yeah, well, we'll see what we can do there after we talk to smart people or something like that, or I'm going to hire the smartest people, but there would be nothing in me that would lead him to believe that he is a coachable human being, um, or a person that would take wisdom from someone on something that he would not want to do. And if there's one thing, and I'm a huge Tom Brady fan, and the number one thing that everybody says about Tom Brady is that he's the most coachable player, you know, in, in the NFL. Um, if there's one thing that, you know, I've learned in entrepreneurship is that the more coachable you are, the more success that you're going to have. So the fact that he is not coachable in any way, um, I think is a huge, huge red flag. Um, I think that also probably, it's hard for me to say that I don't like this about him because I, but I just think that there's a better way to go about doing it is that I don't like the fact that he just mows people over and, and gets his way when he could create a win-win situation. He, he doesn't seem to care about the other side. And Sometimes I don't have a problem with that because sometimes there's not a win-win situation. But I would say probably more often than not, um, there is a win-win situation that could be made. But for the sake of we don't have time, I'm the greatest, America first, F everyone, and except for you know what's going to make me money, he doesn't take the time to go out and, upon and do that. 
And so I think that overall, most of, and I think we agree on this, is most of my problems with him do come from a character issue of who he is as a person. Um, also, I, I do want to address the whole w woman issue. Um, I do not and will never endorse or be okay with how he chooses to address a lot of women. Um, I think that if he were to ever do that to my sister, I don't care who he was, like I'd probably punch him in the face, right? Even if I went to jail for it, right? I probably couldn't hold myself back. So to me, I believe that, you know, Don, people can call Donald Trump a racist or that he's done all these racist things or whatever. I don't, I don't believe that Donald Trump is a racist and we'll, we'll, we can get to that here in a second. But I do believe that he has a history of treating women as less important than men even though now in office, maybe he has changed that tonality or changed the, uh, some of the policies and some of the research that I've done on women. I mean, he's, he's elected a lot of women in the CIA and, and, in, and in past you know, laws for women in entrepreneurship. I, I do believe that that is probably more of a PR thing than it is anything else. I, I don't think that he respects women like he should. And I believe that women are just as I mean, as, as any rational person I think would, just as important and have just as equal of a voice as men do in any area of everything, provided that they are giving the same level of you know, commitment to it and vice versa for men, right? Like they're, you know, I was times that. So I think that that's an important thing to bring up. Those are my big issues with Donald Trump. Um, and the fact that <laughs> he's, a, he's a liar. Yeah. Like uh, he is. Like uh, on a... On a media manipulation level, yeah. he will lie yeah. to manipulate people. I agree with that. So I don't, I don't like to look at what Donald Trump says. Unfortunately, I do like to look at what he does. And that's where I think we're, we're going to get into. So those are where I disagree with Donald Trump. And I think you and I probably yeah. agree on some of those things. I want to switch it though. And actually, I'll give you yeah. time to comment I, on that. I, I agree with like. a lot. I mean, you didn't say anything that I didn't agree with. <laughs> I don't really have anything to follow up on that. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. What okay. do you like about um, Donald Trump? So the list was shorter um, when I was trying to think about the things that I like about Donald Trump. I think if I could point to one thing that I think, like I said, that he's very good at in in business, I think, you know, I like the tax cuts. But I also say that, like, I like what he's done to stimulate the economy. But I say that completely ignorant of the fact that I don't necessarily know what the long-term implications are of what he's done. I don't know how it's going to affect. And it's really interesting to me because when presidents take credit for the state of the economy, there's always this other side that says, yeah, but you're not operating in a vacuum. Like, like Obama's recession was in part because of what happened before. And like the, you know what I mean? It's like, there's like this like wave. And so he's riding in wave, so to speak. So to, to take credit when things are good and then to blame other people when things are bad seems infantile to me. So, but, but if I were to look at like, okay, the economy is doing well, there are tax cuts like that have, you know, helped a lot of people, right? Although I think the Democrats would argue that the tax cuts are helping the 1%. And not the middle class, although I don't, I don't know if there's any factual basis for that because I don't, I haven't studied it. I do like the wage growth that he stimulated um, in wages for people, and the fact that the that unemployment has consistently gone down. Um, so I would say that those are the things that I I like about him. I think he's probably a decent negotiator and good at making deals, but I just don't know what sort of 
corner he cuts in order to get it done. Because to me, he seems very much like the person that the end justifies the mean, the deal at all costs, like whatever I have to do. It doesn't matter if I have to mow the little guy over or stiff all these contractors of money or play the system or whatever it happens to be like the end justifies the means. Sometimes that will directly benefit America, but sometimes it doesn't matter if it does. It's like morally, it, it wasn't the right thing to do. Um, so I would say his economic, his economic growth, um, I think he is committed to America, whether it's to serve his own ego or it's whether he actually loves America. He, I know he's committed as to whether or not it's a good idea, good, good enough for us. I, that's, that remains to be seen. But those are, I would say those are the things that like I could give him a thumbs up on. Okay, so economical policies and more or less yeah, negotiation yeah, skills. I would say th- those would be the things, yeah. Okay. Okay. I do want to, I want to provide, so I want to dive into some facts that I have written down here and um, about the economy, because obviously the economy, I think is a, a big selling point. In fact, it has been pretty widely recognized as that the economy is the single biggest driving factor to what people vote on in an election, uh, whether the economy is doing good or bad. Um, these are directly from CNBC. I'm going to dive into facts here about the economy because the economy is something that I, you know, greatly like under Trump. I mean, I, I didn't really have a business under Obama. Um, I was you know, a worker under Obama, but I sold life and health insurance under Obama. And I worked with a lot of businesses under Obama and I saw the effects of that. This is directly from CNBC, which I think you and I can both agree is not a right-leaning no. website. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Can we, would we, we agree on that? Okay. Okay. So under... And, and I can provide the link. I will provide it in the comments when we're done here. Under... Uh, President Trump, he has had six consecutive quarters of economic growth that have been positive and above trend. Um, Corporate profits and big business profits are up, which once again, that's a controversial issue, but they are up. The stock market is at the highest it's ever been and for the longest bull market run that it has ever been. Once again, he can't take credit for all that because he hasn't been in office long enough, but it is up. Um, Consumer confidence is at its highest level since 2004, which I think speaks volumes. Uh, The National Federation of Independent Business Index, which measures the sediments for small businesses, is at its second highest point ever in US history. Um, And this is the one that really actually kind of blew my mind. In June of 2018, shortly after he took office, about you know about a year in or so, um, there were more job openings in the U.S. on record than there were classified employable employable workers. Meaning, there's more jobs than there were people to fill them for the first time ever in U.S. history. Um, and economic and economists do tie that back to Trump. Eight um, percent fewer food stamps uh, recipients are in Trump in the first 16 months. Um, and economists are crediting, and once again, this is right from CNBC, are crediting better jobs and more available you jobs know, for people getting off. Can I, can I just say something about um, all this? Because like, I agree with you. I think his, yeah. economic, his economic policy is his strongest, his strongest suit, for sure. I do, however, yes. I, I, I struggle sometimes with the very loose sort of like <laughs> credits. Like, it's like, oh, look, this is better, this is better, this is better and look who's in office. Um, and we're like, oh, look, there's the correlation. Because I would, I would also argue that like, he's done good things for the economy, but I think it's also in spite of his leadership because the laws of economics, when applied, they work. Like, they work whether you're a buffoon or a hero, and it's not necessarily as much a testament 
to his leadership right. as much as it's a freaking testament to the fundamental power and strength of capitalism and democracy that Donald Trump is the sitting uh, president and our American government is still stable and we can still stand even in spite of someone who's as incompetent in leadership as he is. As him. Okay. And we're going to, and I want to do one more point here that I have. And then I do want to address the, the differences between policy and, and person. The one last thing that I want to say, and I think this is a very important fact, is why I stated it last, is that uh, Mark Zandi, and you may remember this back from, uh, this was back in 2016, or I'm sorry, 2015, I believe, when he stated this uh, about uh, Trump when he was running. He is the chief uh, economic off, uh, analyst at uh, the Mooney Analytics Institute, uh, openly stated that if Trump's policies for uh, the economy were implemented as proposed, upon which they are today, um, it would cause a major and lengthy U.S. recession. Now, that same analyst today, now that those policies are implemented, has now said that he, because of this, instead of there being a recession, there is now a 0.7% increase in his projected GDP rather than any form of decrease. And 0.7 doesn't sound like a lot, but that's on a $20 trillion uh, estimated GDP. So um, the reason I say all these things is because I think what a lot of people like to point to when it comes to uh, analyzing the future effects of Donald Trump's actions from an economic standpoint, which you brought up, I strongly disagree with most financial analysts on Donald Trump, on whether or not what Donald Trump is doing is right or wrong. I firmly believe that we have no idea because this is a guy that is super, super smart, right? That he's a chief analytics, analytical person. I don't Thank you. Yeah. Chief him. He was a top dude and he's predicting a major recession. And then Trump actually gets an office, does what he says he's going to do. And now there's growth. And so I think that when people point to, and one of the huge problems that I have with people that are anti-Trump when it comes to his policies is that they point to experts and say, experts are predicting. And I'm like, I don't think we can look at that. And it really bugs me when we say that's what Trump's policies will do, or that's what Trump, you know, the negative side effects of this. And my argument to that is to say, why do like, I don't think we can do that. I think we need to look at the now because I think that there is enough good and bad to look at what Trump has already done to not debate on what the future is going to look like with Trump is to debate on whether or not we like where the economy and the country and the, the state of the countries, both economically and socially is right now well, and make yeah, a decision based off I, of that. I wouldn't, I what wouldn't argue the future either. I mean, I think if we if we look at America in a vacuum, we don't look at the division, we don't look at social, like we take all those other issues out and we look at just economics, the country is doing well. Now there's some like inverted curve that happened in the last several months that like predicts that we're about to go into a big recession. Until we are in a recession, we're not in a recession. So for right now, what what Donald Trump has has done either directly or indirectly through the principles of capitalism and democracy he has stimulated the economy and I would totally give him that, you know, as much credit as I think he deserves in, in that area, in that arena. Okay. So let's, let's separate policy and person now, because I think we've done a pretty good job of it. I want to talk more person. If it's all right with you, I want to take the lead on this one. And I want to state my single biggest problem with people that are anti-Trump and my debate back to that because I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this one and it's not something that I'm going to be easily convinced of otherwise. And I definitely want to know your opinions on this, yeah, but I, I think I need to bring some context around it. Is that all right? Okay. So when it comes to Trump the person, I admitted earlier, 
I don't like Trump as a human being in the sense of he's not a role model. He's not great with women. He's a liar. He's all those things. However, my argument to why Trump, I, I genuinely believe that Trump was probably the greatest thing to happen in American politics in the last 20, 30 years. Okay. The reason I believe that is because I believe that the foundation of having a country first and foremost is not, uh, whether or not gay marriage is a problem or whether or not people are nice to each other. Yes, those are important things. However, I don't think we're even able to have a discussion on whether, you know, gay marriage or abortion or whatever, any social issue that you want to argue, unless you actually have a country that is alive and well. And so from a military and economic standpoint, and from an actual saving the country standpoint, I believe that Trump came in, woke up America, woke up people to the political mess that we are in. I think that people pre-Trump were completely numb. That no, like nobody, none of my friends ever wanted anything to do with politics. I was the weird one for being involved in politics. And people were like, I don't care. I'm not registered to vote. I don't want to do this. And we had a country that under Obama, whatever you think of Obama, and I think that Obama was probably one of the most presidential people that we've ever had in office from a character standpoint, right? But from a policy standpoint, like I disagreed with a lot of what Obama did. He Obamacare was a disaster. Healthcare was going out of control. The economy was not doing the greatest. Um, I don't think it was as bad as some people think, but like there was a lot of negative things happening, but people were numb to it. And people, I am hugely, hugely anti-socialist. I am hugely anti-communism and I will, you know, defend liberty and capitalism to, to the death. And so for me, I go and say, America, the idea of America, capitalism, the idea of the free market, and the idea that you and I should be able to have a discussion and that personal responsibility needs to take hold and that I shouldn't have to pay for your crap and you shouldn't have to pay for my crap. We should go out and do that. That was at an absolute fundamental compromise and that we were losing that. And so I believe that the reason Trump is so was so necessary and was so needed and the reason that I can look past a lot of really crappy character flaws that are in him is not because that Trump is the best president, but that Trump was the best possible president for the time that we were in, not as a general rule. If economy, the economy was doing well, if America was doing well, if we were healthy, if we didn't have civil unrest, like we didn't have civil, we had civil unrest before Trump got into office. Did he amplify it? Yes. But what Trump did is he gave America a backbone again. And what People like I always go back to the example of like you know you prune the thorn bush or you prune the uh, prune the rose bush for it to come back even bigger. Like there's got to be change. There's going to be pushback, and there will never be change without negative repercussion. Like there's no thing that has ever happened in American history or or world history ever where change pleased everyone and drastic change that was needed did not piss off a lot of people. And so I see Trump as the dude that came in that was like our country is going to literally not exist. And if less we do something, we've got to come in and change things. So he came in, he woke up everybody. He was like, I'm going to do it, whatever, whatever I want to do. And I'm like, hey, he's doing that in favor of principles upon which I agree with on the principles of a free market, a free economy, and something that built this country. Therefore, I don't think America is going to fall apart under Donald Trump for four years or eight years. And I think that anything that he would do socially can be undone and that we can come together and that, you know what, if a Democrat gets voted in in 2020, I'm going to be fully supportive of that Democrat and hope he wins. I might not like him, but I'm going to support him. 
because I would want the same thing for Donald Trump. And so what I don't understand is people are like, Donald Trump's evil, Donald Trump's terrible, he's ter all these different things. But I'm like, can you imagine if Hillary Clinton was president? Can, and not from, not from a, a woman standpoint or a democratic standpoint, but from a, a policy standpoint, from a country standpoint, I think we wouldn't, we wouldn't have borders, we wouldn't have a country, we wouldn't have an economy, we wouldn't have a military, like we wouldn't have so many of the things that made us who we are today. And so for me, I go, Yes, racism is something that needs to be addressed. Yes, women's rights and abortion is something that needs to be addressed. Yes, religious liberties and gay marriage and, and gun control, these are all things that need to be addressed. But we won't even be able to address them unless we had someone step in, come in like Donald Trump did and say, F you to everyone, I'm gonna get America back, back on the map. Let's deal with the repercussions of that later. And so for me, I don't see anything and, and I guess this is more of a question to you too, I don't see anything that Donald Trump has done that is so bad that number one, can't be reversed, or number two, puts America in a place that hurts everybody else so much that they no longer respect America anymore. Because everybody that I talk to in business overseas and everybody that I talk to in business, like when you know, you're sitting in the lounges at the airport or whatever, I you know, talk to businessmen. Like I'm like, hey, what do you see over in Dubai? I talked to a lady who has a business over in Dubai and she's like, we love Trump. He's doing awesome things for us over there. So I look at that and I go, uh, I can overlook four years of, of not so great character and four years of a maniac or even eight years of a maniac because now, guess what's most likely gonna happen? The next person that's coming in is gonna be the exact opposite of Trump. And now we can deal with the social issues that need to be there. Now we can deal with the healing of it, which I believe social issues and things of that nature need to start at the church level, the family level, the local level anyway. So why? is Trump so bad if he's doing all the good that I just stated? Or do you completely disagree? So I think the problem with my response is that it, it veers off into another very difficult waters, which is religious waters and comes from my personal belief system. Um, so first of all, I think that the dire emergency level sort of rhetoric that Donald Trump has about how our country was about to fall apart uh, was very, very good marketing and very over-dramatized. And I don't think that he was rescuing a country on the brink of utter and complete extinction and disaster. So I think that in order to be heralded as the hero, I think you have to agitate demand. I mean, that's marketing 101. So I think that's the first problem that I see with all of it is like, you know, he didn't ride in on his white horse and save America from ultimate extinction. So that's the, that, that would be the first thing. Second thing is, I have a very strong faith in God and in, you know, this sense of like, there is a reason. There's always a reason. We don't necessarily see the reason. Um, I had a saying growing up, which was God can win with a pair of twos in, in, in a poker game. Right. And so like you give God a pair of twos, you give him a, a Royal flush, you give him, you know, all the aces in the world, he can make it win no matter what. So to your point about Donald Trump shaking things up, I think you're right. I think he did do that. And I think I would never, it's like, you would never say, oh, it's like when someone like gets cancer or they lose a kid or they have like a horrible tragedy, you'd never go to them and be like, oh, thank God that happened. But then you watch as God takes all that and he redeems it and he turns it into something amazing. And so for me, it's not like, oh, thank God Trump became president. It was like, oh shoot, <laughs> Trump just became president, right? Like, he is not a good character. He is not a reflection of good leadership. But in comes like 
sovereignty of, of like, Hey, th- this is also going to have a silver lining because everything has, has a silver lining. And I would agree with you. I think that Trump entering office basically ripped the curtain back and showed us just how unbelievably racially divided we still are. I mean, he literally brought all, all of the nat- like white nationalists, like, like he like incited and now you can't ignore it. Like, Whereas before, and I was reading an article, like before Trump, like in, you know, the media would talk about like racially charged rhetoric or whatever. And we've sort of danced around this issue of race. And it was very hard because, you know, Obama was president and it was like, okay, well, we're not racist anymore. Look, we have a black president. And so there was, we didn't read, we were really not being honest with just how broken of a country we still are because we had this sort of like, nice look. And then Donald Trump's comes in and now nobody can argue that we are a racially divided country. I mean, like no more racially charged rhetoric. It's just like out and out racism. And so in a, in a lot of ways, Trump did actually like stir the water and brought to the surface all the junk that's really still there in our country. I mean, I think he also incited and agitated a lot of it. it not, I don't even think he intended to, I think just his character did. Um, and in creating this incredible us versus them mentality. I mean, in marketing, we talk about like uh, throwing rocks and like creating this polarization. And he did it to a point where, you know, he used like fear, the fear mongering is just at an all time high. And so I agree that he shook up politics. But, but okay, but the, the fear mongering, how so? Because I could, whenever I hear that, the first thing that, I assume, and once again, this is assumption here, but based on my experience, when I hear the word fear-mongering, the first thing that I assume people are meaning is that people are afraid of Trump or afraid of white supremacists or something like that or whatever. When, like, I understand that I'm white and that that in and of itself is a, a total paradigm shift compared to if you were black or, or any other form of you know human being. But, like, Julie, like, I posted a picture in front of Trump Tower and had absolutely no political lingo in that whatsoever. I talked about Trump as a marketer and what we can learn from him on branding. And I was told, like, go after yourself, go to hell. If I saw you, I would, I would slap you. I hope you die. I'm glad your brother died because you deserved it for, for you know, supporting Trump. Like, so like, I look at this and I go, I know a lot of people that support Trump. And I've never heard that from them, ever. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because I'm sure it does. But fear-mongering like, he, in, like, like how do you Donald trump has done that like when he talks about the wall and the border and 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 he references mexicans and like you know inciting this idea that like if we don't get that wall up you know our country is going to go extinct because like all, everyone's going to come in and, and kill and pillage our children and serve drugs to all of our you know wives and like he, he like donald trump is rarely in the middle like rarely does he carry any sort of moderation. And I, I think that he plays these extremes. I mean, just the exaggeration that he does. And then, then it floats out into the media and then CNN, which seems like their entire job has now become to discredit Donald Trump. Like they've, they've lost a lot of credibility in my mind because this right. is all they do now is take his words and just like, I mean, that's like a 24-hour news cycle. But the problem is that the masses listen to the news as if it's real news. And so like he, he like, I think in 
one word about how like, oh, you know, we don't have the wall, the Mexicans are going to destroy us. And then CNN is pumping it into the ears of the mass of, of the, of the masses who are not listening carefully. And they're like, oh shoot. Like it's true. Like if Donald Trump doesn't put that wall up, we're all going to be dead in two years. Like, and he does this constantly with all of the issues. So, so let's talk about specifically the, the wall issue and, and the rhetoric that Trump uses. I just listened to and uh, Russell, and I'm not trying to bring Russell into this discussion, but I just listened to Russell talk at Steve Larson's event about playing the platforms, right? He's like, listen, you've got to know the intent of the platform if you want to win on the platform, right? It's a party. You go there, social media, that's what it is. Um, the media, even before Trump got into office, I think the media, Fox News had unfair criticism of Barack Obama, right? I didn't like Obama, but I think that the right wingers uh, had unfair criticism of Obama and the left wingers had unfair support of Obama. So this happened long before Trump got into office. Trump simply played the media at their game. And so I'm sitting here going, okay, um, yes, I know Trump uses crazy rhetoric, but there's kind of some truth to what he's saying and if he doesn't take it to the extreme, they're not going to talk about it. And I'm like, I think there's got to be a wall. And I think there's got to be like a legal path to citizenship. And I don't I think totally we can just let illegals you. in. Like, listen, I'm not anti-immigrant. So like, so, so he's playing the game. Like he's got to do it. And so what I'm like, is like, there is no other option. Like, except to sit down and get nothing done. And so I look at Trump and I go, yeah, he's an a-hole. Like, I get it. And yes, he's being manipulative because he's playing extremes. But does he have any other option? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I, again, it's like, <laughs> there, there's nothing, there's, there's truth and then there's a lie and then there's the worst, which is a half-truth, right? And like, so like, for, for example, Donald Trump just bragging about how much wall has already been built. And it was like, crazy to me the wall that he described on the campaign trail you know thousand feet tall concrete like you know he went and saw the the plan in california and you know and the bill that actually was passed is one that's like allowing like see-through fence like levee fencing and bollard fencing and also like replacing like existing fencing so this idea of like a thousand miles of concrete wall are going to be built by the end of 2020 and it's like actually probably you're going to have like maybe 500 miles of like levied fencing and maybe 110 of those miles are new. The rest is just replacement. And is that progress? Yes. Is he completely puffing himself up and exaggerating his success on this to hold his own ego? hundred percent. Yes. But, but, and, and this is a battle, a question of ends justifying the means, I suppose. But I'm like, that was absolutely needed. And I absolutely support the wall. And I, it is not because I hate Mexicans or any other form of immigration. In fact, I think that we should allow immigration, but it's absolutely need to be documented. So I'm like, if Trump would have gone in and been like, hey, we should get 100 miles of fencing put in at the border, no one would take him seriously and be like, okay, no, like whatever. It would never have gone through. So Trump takes it to the extreme and gets done what needs to get done. And he's willing to take that loss for it. And now we get to look at that and go, oh, now we're aware of what's actually happening there. So like in my mind, I'm like, uh, yeah, he exaggerated it. 
Yeah, he puffed himself up about it, but we already know he was an egotistical maniac. He's going to be gone in four years or eight years. He, well, we we've don't. got the wall we that we need. We don't have the wall we need. And, we don't. Uh, we, we don't. We don't even have anything well, close to it, yet, number one. It, and number two, the reality is that the path to immigration is not solved with a wall. Yeah, well, it's, it's honestly, a it's like right a big, braggadocious sort of symptom. And the problem is way deeper. I mean, listen, I just went through the entire immigration process. My husband is from Romania. He had to do the path of documentation. Like, I did the whole thing. I went to the immigration. I had to, like, do, like, I did the whole thing, like, and I am totally for a legal path to immigration. I think that, that our country is founded on immigrants, and I think that people should be able to make their way in. I do know that a lot, there's a lot of people that want to be in this country that can't figure out how to find that legal path. Like I have, you know, like my husband's a soccer coach and a lot of the soccer coaches come and they come on these uh, temporary work visas. They want to stay in the country. They don't know how to do it. They're trying to find, uh, and, and they can't, and they feel stuck and they feel trapped. And they feel like they have to like go, you know, do fraudulent marriages and other things like that to try to get in. And I get it. And it's hard. But like at the end of the day, you can't just let anybody and everybody in the country who wants to come in. I get it. Like I get it. And I agree with you. But I, but I do think that the actual issue is not being solved because I think his, I think his ego leads with everything. And I, like, he's so focused. I don't think it's really the, yes, the solution. But, but, but I know we need a wall, but like, we also but, okay. can't like. We also can't so, actually build a wall in many of the places along the border. Like this, you know, it's just, I don't know. It simplifies. So, so, and, and I, please, please provide context around this question if the answer is yes, if, if you feel it's necessary. But do I you do support I do think a wall? we need a border. Yes, of course. Yes, we do. But I also would say, I would, I would qualify okay. that by saying, I don't know what the actual border of the United States and Mexico looks like. I do not know how realistic it is to get yeah. a border all the way around. I don't know what kind of border, but I also think that that's like not really the crux of the issue. Okay. So sometimes in issues, there are pieces to an issue that it's, it in and of itself doesn't solve the real issue, but it is an absolute turning point to making it possible. And I'm going to use, and I don't want to go into this topic yet, but I'm going to use the example of gay marriage in this because one of the big, huge issues that allowed gay marriage to get to where it's at today, and once again, I'm not, not taking a stance on this right now, but was because they started to change the lingo in the laws, right? And so I remember this was a huge debate because my parents who, you know, leave, leave conservative or lean conservative and a lot of my friends growing up, they were pretty anti-gay marriage and they fought this issue tooth and nail. They're like, you know, and I'm not talking about my parents, I'm talking about in general, like, like, hey, if we let this happen, that's going to be the turning point that allows gay marriage to become a thing and that's bad. And once again, I want to clarify, I'm not taking that stance, just this. And so everything stemmed out of this little, seemingly little issue. But once that happened, then it opened the doors to all this. I would argue to say, listen, is a wall going to solve illegal immigration? No. However, building a wall is going to send a message and give us the turning point that we need to say that we are serious about making this happen because, and I'm going to debate this from the Democratic standpoint, if I'm a Democrat right now and I really wanted to see immigration reform, wouldn't it make way more sense to be like, yes, Put up the wall. Why? Because if I give Donald Trump his wall and I give the Republicans their wall, now we have to talk about the immigration issue and we have to talk about how it's a pain in the freaking butt to get, immig get immigrants into the country. So 
wouldn't that bring awareness to it? I don't understand why. I mean, like, I know Donald Trump is puffed up and he's taking egotistical credit for it. But to me, like, that seems pretty minute in the grand well, scheme of I, the good that I he's doing. I don't know that I have, like, I don't know that I know enough to give you an answer. I, I can say that I agree with you that we need to secure our borders. We do. We 100% need to secure our borders. I don't know what that means, though. I don't know. That, that is the outcome. The outcome, secure borders. Approach, I don't know. I, 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 like, I haven't studied it enough to know. I, and I, and I do think I, I get what you're saying that like the building of the wall becomes this almost symbolic sort of message in the sand of like, you know, we are, and, and I, I remember watching, and I know some people will say that that was all skewed too, but I remember watching the, um, the documentary about Cambridge Analytica and like, like they had to pick, yeah, they had to pick the issues that watched, he was yeah. going to like beat on a drum. Right. And it, it was almost like, in marketing, we look for the hooks, right? We look for the hooks that are going to like appeal to the masses that are going to get attention and build the wall, build the wall, crooked Hillary, these things like, these were almost like, these were like issues that were seated in the bed of campaign, right? And it was like, all right, let's figure out the hooks that are going to get that rally cry that are going to create that sort of us versus them. And so as much as like Donald Trump makes it sound like it's his life's work to build a wall, like I'm not falling for it. It was a campaign strategy created and build the wall sounds really, really good when you chant in a campaign. And now it's become this sort of like sword to die on thing. And I just, I don't know how, how effective it really is. I just don't know. But I do know that, that yes, we need secure borders. Yes, we need a legal path to immigration. And yes, build the wall was 1000% a marketing campaign strategy to chant. So let me come at you from a marketing perspective here. You're a marketer. I'm a marketer. Uh, we're both pretty good at getting attention. And you've had even you know, more success by far than I have, which congratulations, by the way. I heard your story at Funnel Hacking Live two years ago. It was incredibly touching. And wow, like props to you, seriously. Um, we kind of do the same thing when we're building businesses. And like, it would be difficult to argue, and, and maybe you can, and, and I'm open to hearing this as you, know, as you will, like it would be if difficult to argue that you know we are any morally like our message of using hooks and convincing people and breaking down false beliefs to getting them to buy our stuff or buy into our movement or you know everything of those things which i do you do russell does i mean like we all do it is any morally different than what donald trump did with the wall yes it's at a much greater scale so there's going to be much more polarity but you know you know it and you look at you, Dan Henry, Steve Larson, Russell Brunson, me, like we've all had polarity and hatred around us. And so I'm saying like, yeah, it's at a much greater level, but can we really be all that mad I at think, Donald Trump for, I think you, the, like he just I did think it the difference better is than anybody else did. Hook, um, like if I'm putting out a hook for a course that I know is going to solve the problem, like I feel like that's, an, that's marketing and integrity because I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that tactic to hook people in. I'm going to give them what they need. Their problem is going to be solved. And, and it's, it, it, you know, the problem comes in when you use these hooks and then you're not able to actually deliver on what you said or what you said was not actually in their best interest or not actually the solution to their problem. And I'm not saying that a wall is not the solution to the problem. I'm saying I don't know I don't know, but I'm just saying like the mm. more, you know, and Steven talks about this all the time, like the importance of ethics in marketing. If you are going to use these NLP strategies and hooks and all these things, like you sure as hell better have good ethics. And we can probably both argue that Donald Trump's 
ethics are not super high on his priority list. Yeah. I, I, and I will not argue that, right? I would agree with that 100%. But mm, if I ask this question, we're going to have to go into, I was going to say, but if that's what the people wanted, but then it's going to say <laughs> you didn't win the popular vote, so I'm not going to go there. Um, because that's a conversation I don't think we have, we have time for. Um, like, let's, um, with the wall specifically, there has been a huge argument around how the current immigrants that are coming through the border are being handled. And, um, you know, there is the accusation of Trump putting people in cages. Actually, I want to address this. If you're okay with this, I, I really, really want to address this because this is something that I get ridiculed for probably single-handedly more than any other thing of my support for Trump is, Josh, how could you possibly support someone that that supports putting children in cages you and separating them You can say whatever you want. Family. I don't know that and, I have done enough study on what's happened to be able to, to argue. Okay. I, okay. Okay. Then let's not discuss. I mean, let's not argue that. I want for those people that believe that I would like for you to look, and I, I'm going to post it in the comments afterwards. I will provide links to all these. So please go look at these. There is a, there is documented, a documented law. You can find this on CNBC. You can find this on whitehouse.gov. You can find this when you look at any of the law, like any of the law places, Trump signed in an executive order into law that says, and I have it here somewhere um, of all my policies, like I'll, I'll drop the specific one because I have so many tabs open, I'm not gonna take the time to find it. That within whatever legal means possible, we need to keep families and children together. Like that is an actual law in effect. And the only time that we are allowed or not supposed to do that is if it is legal or if it is going against legal laws and that we're arresting someone for doing something actually illegal, like a violent crime, that is when we're allowed to separate children and from their families. Now, that law that allowed us to get children and put children in cages or you know the, the blown up proportion of that was actually started under Obama. And I'm not here to blame Obama, right? Like I'm not, I'm not, it's not an Obama attack. And Obama's actual like uh, administration, his board of directors, whatever it's called in the administration, there is video evidence of him being down there walking past children in cages while in, in cages, it, they're big rooms that happen to have like a cage door on them. It's not like these little tiny cages and him, them not doing anything about it. And so I have a really, really hard time when I'm like, I've looked and if someone has evidence of this, please provide it. There is no documented evidence that Obama signed anything or that Democrats, when they had control, signed anything into effect that says, let's keep children and family together. And Donald Trump, has signed a, a law into effect to say with, with whatever legal means possible, let's keep them together unless they have committed an actual illegal activity upon which we need to separate them for. And so I have a really hard time understanding why people think that it is a bad thing to keep people at the border or to keep people in these like places. And maybe this is something you could speak on, maybe you're a little bit more educated about. Like, yeah, there's people in whatever you want to call them, big, huge camps or rooms or whatever, where we're keeping them and giving them housing and supplies because they're illegals. And yes, we're not letting them into the country. And yes, we're keeping them in a big cage, if you will. But it's not like we're not giving them the freedom to go back to where they came from. And I'm not saying they need to. But what I'm saying is, why do people have, and maybe you don't, but I'm, I would like to know, why do people have such a problem with America and Donald Trump and me being like, hey, uh, if you're coming to the country illegally and we catch you, we're going to hold you. We're not going to kill you. 
We're not even shipping you back. We're literally providing you housing and food and shelter, like drinks, to keep you alive while we figure this out. And if it takes five years, it takes five years, but you chose to came here. I don't know. Why I don't is know why that people, so bad? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't have an answer for you. Because I don't, I've never made the, I've okay, never okay. like made the argument. I've never, I haven't studied it. I've seen the, pro, I've seen all the news. I don't know how much of it is propaganda. I don't know how much of it is taken out of context. Like I haven't actually done enough research to give you any okay. sort of like intelligent answer. Okay. So along the lines of this topic, I want to touch on support of, I, I want to talk specifically about, about the Bahamas. Bahamas? Um, the Bahamas. Yeah. Oh. And the hurricane that just went through the yes, Bahamas. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I'm sure you're familiar with that, correct? So Donald Trump came out and this is causing lots and lots of debates. And this is more of an opinion thing, maybe rather than a factual policy debate. But Donald Trump came out and said, basically doubled down on the fact that he's not going to let people of the Bahamas that are not U.S. citizens come into the U.S. after uh, the Bahama. After I mean, it is terrible down there. I'm not sure if you've seen some of the pictures. Like It is completely destroyed. It is awful. He has said, listen, we're not going to let those people come into the United States we will send aid down there. We will send help down there. But we're not letting them come into the United States just because their homes got knocked out. People freaked out. And I was like, I don't see why it's bad. I got crucified for saying that on Instagram. And I'm, ask, I'm curious, from your political beliefs, do you believe... Because in my, in my head, I go, that seems pretty logical. Why would we let them into our country? Why don't we just go down there and help them? Like, why don't we help them rebuild? And yet people are like, no, we're America. We should open our things and let these people in. Do you think that we should let people in in an a case of extreme circumstances like the Bahamas, or do you think we this should just help? This is a very difficult discussion because it's hard to look at human suffering and turn turn your back, so to speak, even though I would argue we're not turning our back entirely because we are sending aid and supplies. Um, I don't really understand asylum and I don't understand refugee status. I don't really know how those laws are created because I understand the idea that if we say to anybody in trouble, come in, come in, we end up with every, every, every single problem around the globe comes into our country and now we still have a problem and we just have a lot of more people. So like, if you carry that line of thinking, the open-hearted, open-door policy, it doesn't carry to scale. Like it doesn't work because at some point you're overrun with refugees and people seeking asylum and you can't solve the problem. It's this, this whole thing of like, put your own oxygen mask on before you can help others. At the same time, I also understand the difference between operating on the spirit of the law, the letter of the law. I think that the best course of action is for us to provide as much aid as we can to help them rebuild their homeland. That's in my, in my head, that's teaching mm -hmm. a man to fish rather than bringing them into America and feeding them fish because that's a temporary solution. Um, if that means that like, okay. but then, but then I say that all in my perfectly like little white privileged like box over here. And if I went to the Bahamas and saw children dying on the street, I sure as heck would stuff them all in my jacket and illegally pull them across the border and not have any moral issues with it whatsoever. These are difficult issues that I think I are not black and white, yes. that I don't know how to answer, that I think people get very emotional on both sides. I think that like it's very logical what Donald Trump is saying. I don't disagree with you. I just don't know what the answer is. So let me ask you this. And this is what I'm actually, I think this will be a, a really good question. Um, in business, there is a time to focus on certain things. 
You're not focusing on, you know, branding and whatever if you don't have products in place yet. And you don't have you can't scale without systems, right? And so like there's you can't focus on everything at once, nor is one single person good at everything. And so um I, I, you you would some you, I'm sure you've hired a coach or a mentor to come in. I know know you to come in and like revamp your business basically. I think you've been with Sharfin and Russell and like stuff like that. Like, well, they'll come in and be like, do this, 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 and rip it all up and you know, go here. So you can't fix everything at once. In my head, I'm like, same thing applies to the world, but in this particular case, the American America as a whole, you got to pick and choose your battles. And so you have to have this, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, but like, you kind of have to have this ruthlessness come in and shake some things up and, and go and do the things and then fix the issues. So my question is, is while I, I tend to probably more disagree with your point. I think I think you have a point, but I disagree with maybe the fact that the country wasn't going to crap before Donald Trump came in. Like, I think the country is pretty bad. Like, maybe not as, it certainly wasn't as bad as Donald Trump made it out to be, but we were certainly not headed in a great direction uh, economically and in and, and, and other places. So fast forward, it's, it's hard to do this, but fast forward past Donald Trump's presidency and assuming that the economy stays well and that things go as we think they're going to go here in you know the next the short term between now and you know the election cycle and let's assume a democrat gets in or let's assume somebody else besides Donald Trump takes office and now their focus now is more on the social issues now on creating unity and things of that nature which by the way I would be very much supportive of um would you say that Donald Trump coming in and being president for the term that he was president and the things that he did economically and and politically in, in things that you would agree with justifies the fact that he was an a-hole and, and was, you know, a maniac, but at least he got those things done. And thankfully it didn't cause, you know, demise to the entire country as a whole if we were able to, if, if we're able to go I think and that, turn I, that around I, and become I, united again. I think or it are you like Donald Trump's a bad idea? How we're going to recover from a lot of the division that has been sown in the last several years? I really do. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't. I I am not typically a person that says the end justifies the means, and you'll see that you'll see that character trait in me in a lot of ways. I am not as aggressive of a marketer in business as a lot of marketers are because I struggle with the end justifies the means, and. Like I said before, I have a personal like religious belief system that believes that all things can be can be redeemed, reused, like all of it. Like and so I I have full faith that like in our country and the people that like we can rise even in the midst of poor leadership, we can we can thrive. And I'm I so I believe that truly. And so to say was it worth it? Like, okay. I, I just think, I don't know. I, I don't know that it was. Well, no. Okay. Um, I want to move to social issues, which I think is where we're going to more strongly disagree, which I'm actually pretty excited for because I, I do want to hear your issues on this, um, particularly abortion. But before before we kind of do that and kind of set the tone for all this, um, I believe that the job, and this is, Ben Shapiro believes this way. I'm sure you know who Ben Shapiro is. Um you know, pretty libertarian and, and out there. Um, I, I'm in alignment and agreement with a lot of what he says and not everything, but um, I believe that the job of the federal government and not even the United States president specifically, but the federal government is to, number one, protect us militarily and to help 
uh, grow economically. I um, don't believe that the federal government has much role outside of that. Now, obviously they do, but I don't believe they're supposed to. Um, help us build the roads, keep us safe from foreign and domestic invaders and, and th things like that. Uh, support us economically, even if that's on foreign trade. I know it gets tricky there. But overall, I think the government should not have say in social issues, in, in a lot of social issues. I think that the government that should have any form of say in social issues is a local government. I think that schooling and a lot of uh, social issues should be solved at the state level um, and at the local level and that the government should pretty much stay out of everything. And so as we move into this topic of, I'm going to say specifically abortion here and, and um, you know, we're not going to talk about guns. It's, you know, we, we've kind of agreed that that's a whole nother topic that, you know, we don't want to get into. So, you know, on the topic of abortion and on the topic of, did you say gay I mean, marriage? Was, I, I right, just don't like, have, a, I don't have or not so enough much. of a clear. Okay. Okay. So I, I, I believe that the government should stay out of gay marriage. I believe that the government should stay out of religion. I believe that the government should pretty much stay out of schooling. Um, I, I understand that that's a tricky one, but like, you know, I think the government should stay out of things as much as possible because I think that everything the government touches inevitably fails and sucks. And that the private sector as a general rule, especially in healthcare as well, um, overwhelmingly favors the private sector and the private sector does better. Um, would you agree, and, and I don't want to go into specifics on abortion and gay marriage, that's the very next thing we're going to get to, but as a general rule, do you believe that the job of the federal government are those things? Do you believe that the state should be more involved, or where is your stance on the roles of the federal versus the state yeah. and so, local government? Yeah, so as a Republican, I believe less government, not more, right? That's my, my typical stance. So less involved the federal government, obviously the federal government the more it tries to get involved with granular issues, uh, the less optimized it becomes. Obviously, in a free capitalist you know, democracy, competition helps make things better. And in the private sector, we all compete and things get better. And I, I fully support that. As far as like the difference between federal and state, um, obviously, when you're dealing with local governments you know, who have more day-to-day -day involvement in, in the town, you know, it would be hard for a local government to have no say because then like, then what's the point? Might as well not have a local government or a state government. We just should have a federal one, right? But then, but then, you know, we're not like, we're in a fallen world. Like, I don't think that that would work. Right. So, um, obviously I think local governments need to have a little bit more jurisdiction because they're in the more day-to-day, -day. but still I am conservative. Like I prefer less government, and more private sector than I do the other way around. Okay. So um, the last two topics that I want to touch on, and guys, um, by the way, if you guys are watching on the live stream, thank you. Um, if you could leave your comments down below, we're going to do a Q&A time quick at the end real quick just to ad uh, address any major questions. Uh, so comment your questions down below, hit the like button, the love button, share. You guys know the drill. Um, the two last topics that I want to get onto are women's rights, specifically with abortion and you know things of that nature. And then... Uh, healthcare in the sense of should it be privatized or centralized with the government and should the government provide that and is healthcare a right? Um, when it comes to abortion, I don't think, like, I don't, I don't disagree with Trump on a whole lot of things in abortion wise. And I'm going to lightly state my stance on abortion. And I genuinely want to hear you from a woman's perspective, understanding that I am not a woman. And I'm very aware of that. I have four sisters. I have a mother. Um, I have, you know, lots of friends that are, are, are women and, and, you know, and, and vote or whatnot on both sides of the aisle, right? Um, I grew up conservative. Abortion is bad, 
right? Like that's pretty much a, a general consumption on the conservative, especially the religious conservative side of things. Abortion is murder. And um, I believe that all humans should have a right to determine what goes on with their body. Um, I don't think that vaccines should be mandatory. I don't think that um, you know you should ever be forced to have to do anything or put anything into your body. My big dilemma, and as a Christian, is I believe that life is precious, and that um, the the nature of humans and the way that we are created is that women carry and create life, right? Like, I mean, they're the ones that ultimately do that. However, when a life form is inside of another human's body, um, things get very, very complicated very quickly. I am always going to default to personal responsibility and taking responsibility for your actions. And so if you, as a woman, choose, and I understand that this is coming from a dude, I get it. So correct me if I'm wrong here. But if you choose to have sex with someone and you get pregnant, in or out of wedlock, but most of the time it's out of wedlock when this happens, and you want to abort that child, you had a choice whether or not to have sex with that person. And even if it was protected and it was an accident, you made that decision. On top of that, I am actually okay with, or maybe not okay with it, but I would support a woman's choice to abort a child before they had a heartbeat. But I have a really hard time, and I 100% agree with Trump when he's like, yo, abortion isn't cool. And if it's got a heartbeat, no. And even Trump said that the Alabama bill, which by the way, I disagree with, says that in the case of rape and incest, like that should, there should be exceptions for that. And I agree that there should be. But what I'm saying is if you make a choice to have a child, whether it's on accident or on purpose, you did that act, you forfeit your right once that child becomes alive to determine whether or not you're, what you're going to do with your body because now it's not your body. There's something else in there. You know what I mean? Like there's another human in there. And so I'm curious to know, I know you're religious. I know that, you know, I've read your post about this and I think you're very well articulated on this. I know it's a hard issue, but how could you possibly justify an abortion where the person is alive? And like, what's your stance on a woman's yeah. right with yeah. that? Um, people probably aren't going to like my answer because it's not very black and white. So I want to preface this, my entire rebuttal by saying that I had three children when I was 22, 24, and 26. The third child was born with a very serious heart defect and almost died. I went into a very, very long, several months of postpartum depression and dealing with three kids. And I vowed <laughs> at age 26 that I would never have another baby again because it about pushed me over the edge. Fast forward to age 34 and I was divorced or I was getting divorced and I had met who is now my husband, Alex, and I was on birth control and I got pregnant. And after having three and like it, and I will tell you that the fourth pregnancy fundamentally altered my body forever choosing to have that baby. I made the choice to carry that baby to term because I know I have personal belief. I, I believe in God. Like I said, I knew that there was a reason I was obviously sacrificing my own 
health to some degree to bring that baby into the world. I had done the responsible thing by being on birth control and it didn't work. I have nothing but 1000% empathy for women who find themselves with an unwanted pregnancy. I do not think that late-term abortions and all these kinds of, like, I don't, I don't agree with any of it. Like, and any mother who's had a child will know, like, you know, the, the, the sanctity of life. That said, I also feel like I am not the ultimate judge and jury of what happens in a woman's body and with the situation that she's in. So of course, if, if I, if, if I could like have my way and snap my fingers, I would, I, I would make unwanted pregnancy no more, right? Because that would just be the, that would be the ultimate solution is just that every pregnancy is a wanted pregnancy. But unfortunately, we live in a fallen world where women are brutally raped all the time and find themselves, yeah, pregnant. And so, Tragically, yeah. you know, I don't know what the answer is. I, I err on the side of giving the woman the choice because I, I personally know how difficult and how much sacrifice it is. And I know that a lot of women get pregnant and have no intention of getting pregnant and did all the right things to avoid it and still find themselves pregnant. And I think that the extremist view would be like, well, then don't have sex, right? And so then what well, we should just all live a life of celibacy if we want to avoid an unwanted pregnancy. I mean, you take your argument to the extreme. I mean, not your argument, but the pro, you know. Right, right, so, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I no, think that ultimately, if we like step back for a second from the abortion issue and we look at men and women and we look at the, the, the focus on women versus men, the truth is that a woman can bring one unwanted baby into the world a year. And a man can be responsible for 365 plus unwanted babies a year. And the excessive focus on the woman's body in the problem with unwanted pregnancy, to me, points to a very deep, deep deep-seated problem with gender issue and male white privilege making making decisions about how women are supposed to handle their bodies. And the fact is that, Josh, you could go out and create 365 unwanted pregnancies in the next 12 months. I can produce one. I agree with you. And I absolutely believe that there needs to be a stronger conversation about the man's involvement in things. That said, um, there's two issues that like I struggle with here and then I I really want to understand because I just, I don't get it. Number one, I'm, I'm going to state them both to you and we can kind of, kind of, they kind of go together is number one, abortion. I mean, a, a rape, life of the mother, uh, things of that nature make up a very small percentage of overall abortion. Um, I know people that have aborted children that were just being dumb, right? Like they didn't have protected sex. They didn't take precautions or whatever. They're just inconvenient and away they go. And, and also um, in most cases with plan B and or very, very early term abortions, most of those pregnancies can be handled within well before a heartbeat. Yes, but I'm a, I would support a law that says you can abort a, a, abort a fetus before a heartbeat, not because I'm morally okay with it, but because if that was the compromise that I needed to make in order to do it, I think it would be hard for a, a anyone to argue that the the person that is aborting that child has any form of malicious intent to kill someone. And, I, and, let, me, and let me preface this whole argument, or in, now we're in the middle of it, by saying 
as an overwhelming majority of the time, I don't believe that women are like, all right, well, I'm going to go have an abortion, right? Like it's not like they're, they take it lightly and that this is something that they're just radically okay with. Yes, some people are, but as an overwhelming majority, I think that that is not the case. And so I do understand that it is a hard decision. My dilemma is that number one, most of an overwhelming majority of abortions, if you looked at statistics, and I will gladly provide you know, down this, once again, this is up on my, I have a tab up on my screen with this, do not come from rape and do not come from incest. And I want to go back to your point of Donald Trump when you say, you're not the person that says the ends justifies the means. And you can look at Donald Trump and you can be like, how could you possibly support someone like a Donald Trump? The ends don't justify the means at all. Like, you know, Donald Trump may have saved us from a bunch of crap, right? But we should have gone through that because you know what? Donald Trump is a terrible human being and we should definitely not have elected him. I will take whatever it was that we were going to get beside him. I would take it. And so could not I argue the exact same argument when it comes to this to say, listen, you're pregnant and you know what? You don't want a baby. So the end result is that you don't want a baby. So you're going to abort that child. Could not I argue that says, sorry, but the ends of not wanting a child don't justify the means of killing a child with a heartbeat, you know what I mean? Like of making that decision. And so like, I look at this and I go, are unwanted pregnancies not a great situation to be in? Yes, I, I agree with that. I do believe that if there is an unwanted pregnancy that we in, in the United States government or, or in the United States, the man should be responsible for that way more than he probably is now and should be responsible at very least financially, but more importantly, emotionally, like I think that they should take charge for it. But that like saying that, oh, because we can't do that or because the man's not going to be involved or because like whatever, I have the right to choose what I want to do with my body when like, aren't you kind of no, just justifying the like ends with the meats? apples to oranges because the end, like the end result, <laughs> like the end justifies the mean is actually a pro-life stance. The end is a baby. And so we're going to justify forcing a woman to go through this because of the baby at the end. But, but they did like an overwhelming majority of them did well, choose. Like this is, right? this is the like, big argument, like, right? So if, if we say like in my personal situation, I chose the responsible route and I got pregnant. And I'm sure that I, like, I can't go explore America and ask how many of them wore protection, didn't wore protection, because then all of a sudden we're like judge and jury on protection. And then, you know what, we should make it be a law that you have to wear condoms if, you know, you're not, like, your, your line of reasoning to create, like, if you follow your line of reasoning and we say, okay, unless it's incest, unless it's uh, rape, unless it's life of the mother, right. uh, abortion should be illegal after six weeks, let's say, because that's uh, six weeks is when the heartbeat comes. comes. Right. So yeah, right. Six, mm -hmm. then you have to prosecute, prosecute every mother who finds out she's pregnant at six weeks, one day, even if she's been on birth control, even if she used condoms, even if it was like, no matter what the situation, you have to prosecute the mother. No, you do. You do. But, but, on your belief system, you have to prosecute the mother. You, you, and, and, well, I would say that you have, you would just have to you not have let to the mother have an abortion. The mother. It's right? like, the law. If she has an abortion. Oh, if she, if she have an abortion. Well, yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, under, 
under the reasoning of that, yes, you would have to prosecute the mother as a murder, like as someone like of that. But and I would I would support that on the single basis of like we all know what sex does, right? Like I just I don't understand the, the amount why of responsibility people have put a- on women for unwanted pregnancies is blown so far out of proportion in the abortion debate. The amount of the amount of responsibility that you because basically, Josh, if in your world where that law is the case, and you and I have sex and we use protection and I get pregnant and I say, I can't have another baby and I get an abortion at six weeks, one day, I am prosecuted. You are not, even though we both equally 50, 50 created that unwanted pregnancy. I would 100% be okay though. And and maybe let me ask you this is if provided the male that was involved with it knew that, that there was a pregnancy and was okay with the abortion and did it past that six weeks point and that happened that he could be prosecuted equally. I know that's not how it is now, but I would say that under my belief system, that should happen. If the dude's like, ah, you know what? It's just a couple of days. Like, just go ahead and do it. Like he should be held equally responsible for that abortion and equally responsible for, you know, assisting in murder or murder or whatever we want to call, call that as, because I'm like, he knew just as much as the the chick did or the woman did like, Hey, like we're about to have sex. Like there's a, an actual possibility that, that, um, like we might have a kid. And like, my thing is, is like, by the way, I live in accordance with what I believe on this to say that, you know, if I were to get someone pregnant, I don't care who it was. Like if I got super drunk one night and I wasn't, you know, wasn't in a relationship, right? Like, and I got super drunk one night and I went out, I had sex with someone and I got them pregnant or whatever. 100% I would make that child my own. I would be there. I would emotionally support. I would financially support. Even if I never had any intention of marrying that woman, or even if I, you know, like had, was in a relationship, like I'm going to live by that because that's my responsibility. And like, I think that, Men should be held responsible for that, but even even if they are, are or are not, like, and let's like, it doesn't justify killing someone. And like, I just don't understand. You can say like, well, the problem is the man's not going to be responsible. So therefore, since the man's not going to be responsible, let's go kill. Like, let's make it okay that we can abortion, perform these abortions. I personally don't. I'm just like, like, I personally would never get an abortion. Like, I personally believe that in the sanctity of life. I would carry the child. I would. Like, I don't disagree with you on any of it. Like, but what I, but so, so, because, so, but because then why would we you be live okay? in a fallen world where we don't get to get the best, we don't get to get the best that we want, right? In an ideal world, yes, there'd be no unwanted pregnancies or any unwanted pregnancies. The woman and the man, they would step up to the plate, they would have that baby. And, but let's just, that's not the world we live in. And I believe that the world that we live in with your viewpoint and your law would create infinitely more problems than if we currently have. And I I don't know the laws totally. I think it varies by state, but I think that before like eight weeks, right? Like most women know they're pregnant by the time they're eight weeks pregnant, right? And like, I don't think you should get an abortion, but if you are going to get an abortion, that is you face... God one day and you deal with your actions and the consequences of your actions. I am not going to, you know, get the government involved and the law involved at this point with 
a child that's eight weeks in the womb. It's between you and God, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Okay. So if that be the case, and let's let we'll we'll end that there because I don't we're I think that's about as much common ground as we can find there. Um, but I, I do want to now bring Trump into this whole effect of everything, which Trump. I mean, there's been accusations that he's been with women that have aborted his children. So, you know, like who knows what's actually true, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Maybe you don't know. We might need to fact check this one a little bit more. Like, you know, Trump has said like, hey, rape, incest, life of the mother. Like, I I'm totally cool with that. I, I believe that, you know, at one point, like he's even stated while president that he's okay with not late term abortions, but early term ab abortions that he is. But that the, the government because he reversed a law. This was shortly after he got into office. I, this is part of my research yesterday. He, he reversed a law that where Obama put a law into place that said that a state or a, uh, the, the federal government could withhold funding from states that refused to give funding to clinics like um, Planned Parenthood you, and things like that that performed if you abortion. If and you so Trump rolled that back. What Trump has said about Planned Parenthood and, and abortion, he is all over the map. Before you get, like, like I don't oh, like anything that comes over. out of that man's mouth about abortion. The eye, my eyes roll so far back in my head. He has, he has gone every side of the issue. As far as I, he has this much credibility when it comes to talking about abortion. Right. But when it comes to his current economic policy, or I mean, his current policy upon which he put into effect. So let's take his words out of it here and let's look at what he actually did from a law standpoint. And this was, can be found on, um, the list of one, it's on CNN. It's a CNN, um, uh, politics, CNN.com. Um, he, and this is under the category of the legislation that he rolled back, uh, Obama era policies. He rolled back a policy and put a new policy into place that says, Hey, states now can, um, refuse to fund Planned Parenthood or services that perform abortions um, and uh, allow them to still receive government funding, whereas beforehand they couldn't. And so my question to you is, I have no problem with that um, because I don't think the government and, and my next topic that I want to get to is healthcare. But it, if a woman chooses to have an abortion and let's assume that we agree that that's okay, right? Like eight weeks or before, um, I don't, like there are certain medical things that shouldn't be covered. And I, I don't see or understand why uh, taxpayer money or government funded money of any sort or even health insurance plans should be forced to cover an abortion. What are your thoughts on payments of the I mean, actual If we go back stuff? to our, our agreement that the government should stay out of stuff as much as possible, then they should stay out of this. Like the government, yeah. if, if we, if we okay. both are conservatives so, and believe that the federal government's job, which you just stated prior was to keep our country safe and whatever those yes. things were. And the government should like Trump should shut his mouth about abortion and we should leave it to the private sector to, to deal with. Right. I would, I would agree. So, um, I would say that I think some of it might come down to the, the local level, but yeah, yes, I, just, I think overwhelmingly I, I think this that is would an be issue correct. that, yes. you know, there's enough, there's enough things going on that we need to deal with. Stay out of it. Okay. So, when it comes to then mm -hmm. health insurance, I am, I, I, so context for people listening and, and for you as well. Um, I used to sell life and health insurance 
before I got into entrepreneurship. That was my last job leading up to this. I had to go through all of the laws, all the certification programs, take all the tests, go down to the you know courthouse like or whatever it was, like and get certified. I've spent literally thousands of hours studying and being a part of uh, the health insurance industry. I also came into it right as Obamacare got passed. So I was very much, I don't know if on the front lines is a correct terminology, but I was pretty well informed about how the Obamacare policies worked and how specifically it affected businesses and individuals um, that had private health insurance, not people that were currently off of it, people that actually were doing their part, that already had health insurance and things of that nature. I am overwhelmingly in support of private sector healthcare. I think the government, okay, so do the government should have absolutely no No, part of healthcare whatsoever. I think they're doing a terrible job of it. Okay. I'm glad we agree on that. So my question now becomes, because another thing that I get hated on about Trump all the time is saying, okay, listen, uh, how could you possibly support someone that doesn't think healthcare is a right? Or how could you not think healthcare is a right? Healthcare is, you know, a human right or this, that, and the other. I don't think healthcare is a human right, but I do think that we in America, by the way, have a standing law that says, hey, if you go to the emergency room, like if you are in a literal life and death situation and you show up to the emergency room, they have to treat you even if you can't pay for it, right? Like that's a thing. And so we have that. And so my question becomes, okay, obviously we, nobody wants people to die. Nobody wants people that you know, need medical attention to be sick um, and, and not get that. However, you know, m- money is, is a limited resource. And you know, like, we have to create and put policies in place that are sustainable. So what about all the people that cannot afford healthcare? Should they be comp- you know, comp- um, compensated somehow? Should they have some form of coverage? Does the private sector need to take care of them? Like, I don't what know. is your stance? I think on that, that the government is doing a terrible job of dealing with the health insurance crisis. And if I truly do believe that democracy and capitalism and a free society does produce the best innovations and solutions, I think that the private sector probably has the answer more than the government does. Um, and so I like I believe okay. the government should stay out of a woman's body, should stay out of healthcare, like it should stay out, like. I'm consistent on that theme. Okay. Um, do you believe that the overwhelming price of premiums would go down if the government yeah, got out of it and would you let take the private sector do its thing? And, I, and I'm so glad we agree on that. I can't stand people that, that don't think that. Okay. Um, is there any other things that you'd like to ask me? I have, I have one kind of final big question before we go to Q&A with everything, but like that I'm, that I'm curious about. But like, are there any questions or anything that you want to ask me or anything no, you want to say or address so. about think, anything we talked about so far? I think we're holding steady here, being extremely civil. Oh, we're good. <laughs> I think we really are. Um, okay. Oh, so boy. maybe this last question will change that, but hopefully not. Um, why do people hate Trump so much? And let me context that by saying, Julie, I didn't like Obama. I had oh, friends and I grew up very conservative. Like I had friends and at, like I used to believe, and this is probably going to haunt me in the future, you know, if I ever wanted to get involved in politics, but this is honest. And I would say this on stage in front of everyone. Like I used to believe that if you were gay, you were a terrible human being, right? Like that's not the, I'm not stating that are the views of my family, but like that is the culture and the type of per- people that I grew up with. Okay. Um, I don't believe that anymore at at all. And I want to clarify that. I mean, I have lots of gay friends and, um, but 
I have never, ever seen the hate for Donald Trump or for anything or anyone that there is for Donald Trump. The, the absolute illogical, completely emotional, cannot possibly make sense hatred for him and who he is. And the absolute divide that has come because Donald Trump has been president, I cannot blame on him. Like, I can't, like, yes, has he contributed to it? Yes, but I just can't blame him for it. I, I, I don't, like, that just doesn't happen. And I'm wondering, like, why do people, like, yeah, like, well, but, it, it, but like, the thing why? is, yes, like, you why have, is that right? It also has gone in the opposite direction, too. I, I'm sure you don't feel it, but like, the hate, right. the emotional, and no, the, no, I'm the, sure it has. Like, the venom hearing on both sides is ex- is extraordinary. And I have never, I don't like Donald Trump, but you won't see me ripping into Trump supporters. I mean, like some of my closest friends are like, not just Trump supporters. They're like wearing the swag. They're like, and, and I'm like best friends with them. Like it's, I don't understand it either. All I can say is that I think that typically when you see more extreme behavior and extreme emo- like emotional behavior, like almost like crazy making, right? Like people are acting, starting to act crazy. To me, that is a symptom of the climate and the culture of what we're in today. And I know this might be a little like psychologically like going down a rabbit hole, but like I have studied very in-depth gaslighting, which is, you know, for those of you guys listening who don't know what it is, it's when it's when uh, somebody else st- starts to cause you to question your own perception of things, right? So it's like, no, that's not what it was. Like, and they like, it's like a mind trick and it's a house of cards. I've been in, in relationship with people who do this and it will literally make you nuts, like bona fide nuts and like questioning yourself. I think that the country as a whole is in that sort of pool right now. And we are watching the manifestation of people who feel desperate, who feel out of control, who feel on the brink. I think it's not just Trump's fault at all. I think the media is like a hundred thousand percent culpable also in this whole thing because they have fed on either side at such an extreme level that I think there's this like this almost like crazy amount of fear and instability and like, are you my enemy? I mean, even just yesterday in my group when I posted that and the response I got of like, one person said to me, like, you will get death threats and people will come to your house. And like, it was, I was stunned and I was scared for a minute. Like, holy crap. Like, was this what we've come to? But that is, that is in part the culture that we live in. And I do believe in top down economics. I do believe you reap what you sow. And I do believe that having a corrupt leader in power has created some consequences. I think the media has leveraged the crap out of it. And I think they've made a crap ton of money leveraging the fact that we have him in power. And I think it's created a culture that you're seeing and you're getting the brunt of it. And other people are getting the brunt of it. And it's sad and it's bad. But like, and I, and I agree with you, but like, I don't, do you think that, and, and and this goes two ways. I'm aware of that. Like Trump should behave, right? Like he needs to shape up like from a maturity level. But like uh, the blatant, I, I, I try to have a pretty even keeled view of the media. I yep. don't watch a lot of Fox News. Um, 
I probably watch more CNN than I do Fox. And I don't watch TV a whole lot. I try to get my, my news sources pretty center to even left because I don't want to be so just right wing because I have those tendencies, right? And I watch Joe Rogan, I watch, you know, who's pretty freaking liberal, right? Like, I mean, he leans really, really liberal. And a lot of the interviews on him and overwhelmingly the, the, the anti-Trump cancel culture, leftist movement. And I know you're a Republican, but I'm still, you know, your thoughts are a registered Republican, at least, um, seems to be way, way, way more into this than, than the, the right, maybe pro-Trump supporters. And like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not there because I know that it's there on the Trump side of things, but like, I feel like this is not a Trump issue as much as it is a media issue and as much as it is a manipulate uh, a um, uh, um, personal responsibility issue and the fact that the culture that we've created, like Donald Trump didn't cause this. Donald Trump is the result and amplified what was there. But like, I don't know, I have a hard time blaming Trump for this and I don't understand the hatred behind it. And so like my question to you is, is like, I know you don't like Trump and I know you don't, you know, support anybody being vile or, you know, hatred or anything, you know, towards his negative side of things or whatever. But like, would it be a true statement? Do you think, think that Trump has done more good or more harm to the country since he's been I in office? I think he's done more harm. And how so? I mean, it's great that the economy is booming, but, um, again, mm-hmm. when I go back to, uh, my leader, leadership, and my belief in God. And it's like this idea of you put an apple seed in the ground, you're going to get an apple tree and you'd be a fool to think you're going to get a peach tree. And so as a man thinks, so he is. Uh, we, we oftentimes in business talk about your business will never grow beyond your character. And to me, putting someone like Donald Trump in office was going to reap spiritual, cultural, social consequences that we are now seeing in action. And yes, business is great. And economy is great. But I think, and, and, and that is a, I think that is a result of like, Hey, it's not all, you know, he's not all bad. He's not all good. And there are principles of economics that work when you execute them, no matter what kind of buffoon you are. Yes or no. But I think that what we're seeing, and I, because I have a very strong spiritual bent, I believe that we are reaping what we have sown with a president like Donald Trump. And you, so from a, a thing, like what areas do you think that he has caused more harm than, is it like simply from a, a, a divide, from a racist I, divide, I think, from a, like what, what part? I think that the parts that he's really, that he's really caused um, most harm in, obviously um, in the racism and division in that way, I think also in his, um, <laughs> His, I feel like, I mean, you know what the, the irony is like his, in his treatment of women, ironically, I do think it has incited women to stand up more. So, you know, that's like the silver lining there is like now there's, there's almost more empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think from a political standpoint, the people across the aisle, I think there's more political division, more ethnic division, um, more like unrest between countries since he's been president than more unification and peace in general. I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to disagree um, with the, 
maybe maybe unification. I, I have a hard time. Like I look at Donald Trump and I go, I take repo- and personal responsibility for anything. He takes no personal responsibility for anything in his life. And I agree. I, I would agree with that. Well, except for the <laughs> except for the things where, where he thinks he does great, like that wall. Um, but like I. Josh, I don't know how you, knowing knowing who you are as a person, knowing your ethics, know how, knowing how important your thoughts, actions, behavior, responsibility, per, like the way that you align yourself, you like you are a walking, talking example of someone who wants to be in integrity. Like I've seen that from you for as long as long as you've been up and coming, and like he is the opposite of that. He is the literal embodiment of out of alignment, not integrity. And so to me, it's like, it's impossible to not reap what you sow. Like that is a law as sure as sure is. And I think when you put someone like that in a position of power, his influence is going to trickle down. And like his cabinet has, like you even look at the way he's led his cabinet and the turnover and the people that have gone to jail. And the, the, I mean, it's just like, but, 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 it's that like it's that's a broken system right and like what i feel like i feel like for me i i obviously i believe that trump has done overwhelmingly more good than harm and and we will disagree on that and that's fine but like i look at it and i go um okay you put people if i'm building a business right or if i'm running a you know company or corporation i bring in someone to ruthlessly gut me on on systems and tell me how to build systems and then after that's done i i come in with advertising or come in and do this and i feel like we got. We came in and we're like, all right, we need some economic uh, security, you know, economy growth. We need some security. Like, yeah, you're not the greatest, but like, all of our options were bad, and nobody else was out there. Like Hillary, like I think maybe we can't agree, but like, do you think Hillary would have been I, a better option than Trump? I, I was not a big fan of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> So, so like, you know, like, I mean, I, and I got pretty, I got pretty mad at my mom too. And, and, you know, truth be told, like, I was like, I don't know how you couldn't vote for Trump when Hillary was the other option, because I'm like, you can say, yeah, it's the worst of two evils, but I'm like, I don't even necessarily look at it as the worst of two evils. Like, yeah, Trump's pretty messed up in a lot of areas, but like well, Trump's but actually going to do here's some the thing. Good. Here's like, the thing. Trump like, actually is. there were not like, it's like the lesser of two evils. And I think I have a streak of idealism in me that says that it, we could have, we didn't, but we could have had a leader that was in an alignment, in integrity, and could shake things up. And it is impossible. Like, I can't lay down my belief that there isn't a leader out there that knows how to stir things up and knows how to still be a, like a good character. So this idea of like, well, we needed Trump because like, I, I don't know that it's true. I think that like, it's going to be used for, you know, like there's always that silver lining. God wins with a pair of twos. But I do not think it was the best option to put Donald Trump in 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 the president's chair at all. Like I don't think it at all. So let's say, do you have anybody in mind on who that might be? Do you think that's capable of it? Even if they're not possible, like, even if they won't run for president, like do you have anybody that's like they would be? I think that they could do. I it. don't know. Okay, because like to me, like I, I just look at it and I go, you got to work with what you got. And you say it's in a fallen system and you say, you, you know, like uh, the, the whole thing with the abort, going back to the abortion thing, you're like, hey, it's a fallen system. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. It's a fallen system. But OK, so if you're going to adjust to a fallen system, I'm going to adjust to a fallen system, too, over here. And I'm going to say, listen, right. Trump is my we best option that I was presented with. the option that we were presented with. I didn't like either candidate. I felt very much like, well, crap, like these are my two options. Awesome. Right. I was not happy 
And so, you know, who was better? The problem is you can never argue who would be better, Donald Trump or Hillary, because we don't live in an alternate universe where we can't see what Hillary would have done. So we don't know. I just know I didn't like either of them. Right. But I, but I can't, I can't be like Donald Trump is the best thing that's happened to America in the last 30 years, because I don't, I don't think that's true. Uh, And and that's fine. Um, What would have to change? And and I'm going to answer the same question reversed, but what would have to change in Donald Trump's character, which I I totally get. It's not going to happen. It's impossible and whatever, but like, Pretend that you knew deep down inside, you saw these changes and you knew that they were genuine. What character changes would have to change in order for you to vote for Donald Trump in 2020? Yeah. Which I, I know is not going to happen, but like, and that you won't. And, but like, what, what things are you, like, what are the big ones that are like, I think that, the things that, that would, have, that would to have to change would be number one, his commitment to stop lying, double speaking, creating these like vague, like circuit, like say what you mean, mean what you say and do what you're going to do. Right. Like, and as much as everyone's like, Oh, Donald Trump came and drained the swamp. He doesn't, he double speaks like he double speaks so bad. It's like, it's so easy to find him doing that. So that'd be the first thing that would have to change. Second thing that would have to change is he would have to start surrounding himself with leaders that are not corrupt and leaders that aren't ending up in jail or being accused of, you know, like mistreatment of women, like put him, put, a really, really solid, diverse leadership in place that could hold him accountable. That would be the second thing. And then I think, honestly, the self-adulation and the lack of personal responsibility, like that would be a big thing that would have to change for me. So hypothetically, if Trump wins 2020 and like two years into it, I don't know, God speaks to a miracle worker or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he comes out as president. He's not, you know, he's there. He's not voting him in and out. And he came out and was like, you know what? I've messed up, which I <laughs> totally understand is not going to happen. But like, if he were to be like, listen, you know what? I messed up. I've treated women terribly. Um, we're cleaning house. We're getting some new leaders in here to, to help really support me. Um, I, I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm going to have a fact checker there to v- validate everything that I say. Um, and you know, like, w- these are the changes that I'm going to make. Could you then at that point, if that were to happen, which I won't, but if it could, could you then at that point say, all right, I now at least believe that Trump is headed towards the direction of yeah, the sure, character absolutely. that we would need in this country. Absolutely. Okay. 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 Um, I do want to go to any questions, guys. We're going to read your questions really quick down below. Um, final question I have for you. It's actually a question for you to me is like, what would your advice to me be as someone? I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for you and um, you know, you know, the, the industry that I'm in, you know, pretty, pretty well, probably better than an overwhelming majority of people. Um, what advice would you have for me on a political slash Trump level in the sense of I'm, I'm not just business, right? I am business thought leader, content type stuff. Uh, you know, I do believe we need to treat people with respect. I get it. Ironic, right? Um, uh, but like, you know, I'm building a brand with Think Different Theory of where I'm not afraid to talk politics, where I do think that we need to stand up and, you know, call people out when they're right or wrong and, and support people when they're right and talk, you know, ethics in capitalism. And, you know, it's more than just like, hey, here's how to close some more sales, right? Um, and, build a, and build a thriving business. I think, you know, I'm bigger than that. But obviously, I am pretty vocal about my support in Trump. I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not afraid to have a conversation about it like this. What would your advice be to me to not... Like, I understand there is going to be some just people will look at me and they go, you support Trump, you're automatically disqualified in any way. But I think that once Trump is out of office, 
there will be a sense of like, I, I want to believe that people are going to become more level-headed towards people that might've supported Trump. And that maybe they're going to be like, I know he supported Trump, but he's out of office now. So that's behind me. I can le be level-headed again. So what would your advice be to me to not alienate my audience or just in general, like my advice would be when it comes to talking about politics and when it comes to talking about, you know, things uh, of strong disagreements in the political realm um, as such. I think, I think you're doing a really good job of it already. I mean, you, you asked me to come on the podcast knowing full well that I'm not in support of Trump. And so that sort of like open-mindedness of asking for other people's opinions, you already do that. So I think you do a really good job of that. Um, I have found nothing you've done super offensive, even though I'm not for Trump. So I don't know that you will ever be able to do something that gets the extremists to not be extreme, right? Um, and I think as you as you continue to explore your politics and stuff, um, I think constantly evaluating um, your sources, asking for different opinions, as well as understanding that like until it, you know it's like i i honestly think that it, you know i will never know what it's like to be a man i will never know what it's like to be a person of color like you don't know what it's like to be a parent yet you don't know what it's like to be a husband yet like understanding that there are these milestones that are coming and so until you get there being open to the people who have been there and what their experience is i think will just in general you know make you more well-rounded. But I, I, I honestly would applaud you. I think you've, do, you've been doing an excellent job. I've not ever been offended by the things that you post, even when I completely disagree. Wow. Yeah, so. Well, that's good. And I appreciate that. Okay, oh, I will continue that. Um, I know there's like, like a hundred, over 100 comments on everything. I don't think we have the time to kind of go through everything. I don't see any directly at the top. I think it's more opinions. Um, so if it's all right with you, yeah. like we can reply in the comment section if necessary. But I think we're just going to go ahead and end it here. Um, I want to say thank you. Um, and, and, and I think that this was an incredible step in the right direction from two people that do have an audience um, to have a civil debate and discussion about something that is obviously terribly polarizing. So I understand that there was a lot of risk that went into that. And I want to say, first and foremost, thank you for coming on. Secondly, thank you for um, what you have done in the community. I mean, I know we call it the internet marketing community, but the community of the internet, um, you know, I know that your time at ClickFunnels wasn't overwhelmingly long, but the effects there and, and your involvement in your community, your group and what you've done. Um, I think that we need to have more conversations like this. And I want to say thank you for what you've done because you are a strong leader. You are a woman that has brought to light, even for me, uh, the issues. And, and I read I read a lot of so your political... They're like social your, justice. I don't want to say yeah. political posts, but your so, social justice posts, yes. And if there's one thing that I know when I, whenever I go into reading a Julie post, I know that it is coming from a very thought through, um, frame of reference. And that while I disagree with obviously things and, and, you know, I disagree, I, I think there's room for disagreement. And I think that's what makes America. And I think that's what makes society great is, is that room for disagreement. And so I, I really appreciate the fact that you are level-headed and that you were willing to come on here when I, I definitely made the comment. I, I know exactly <laughs> what comment you were referring to when I read that too, uh, of me saying that. So yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I do appreciate this everything. Is, uh, you've done. This is good. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I, I came shaking in my boots. <laughs> yeah.
follow through. Awesome. I love it. Guys, this has been um, Julie Stoian and the Donald Trump dilemma. I'm not even calling it a debate. It's more of a dilemma and, and just kind of discussing that. Um, I do want to let you kind of plug for, for those people that want to follow you more because I think you have a lot of good ideas. Where can yeah, people absolutely. find you and, so and find a little bit more? Go to my website, juliestoian.com. That's spelled S-T-O-I-A-N.com. Um, I'm mostly active on Facebook. If you you know want to follow the the kinds of posts that Josh is referring to, I do post come find me at Julie Stoyan. That's where I do all of that. Um, my email list is a great place to also hear all my commentary on life and business. So you can get that on my website as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And I was on your email list for a while before I did my mass unsubscribe. And I always found it very interesting how you um, shared while still maintaining the authority that you are, uh, shared the vulnerabilities. And even when you would go through times <laughs> when you just ghosted everybody, and I, I remember that you didn't hit your email list for like a week and everybody freaked out. Right. So you know, it's a good place there. So guys, check her out. Um, if you guys have any questions, um, please comment them down below. We'll, we'll be in the comment section, uh, and, and reading those and I'll be, you know, replying to those, please be civil. Like I, I do ask that. I mean, that's very, very important. Um, and then last but not least, everybody, if you're watching still just comment hashtag or just say, thank you, Julie, because you know, we, we do appreciate you coming on. So Julie, Thank you so much. Guys, as always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are the ones that change the world. And those of us that think different are the ones that are willing to have conversations like this, conversations that actually matter and are actually going to go out and make a difference in the world we live in. So I love you all and I will see you on the next episode. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.